Hello, everybody, and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and this is my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And uh, before we get started today, we have a voicemail uh, that we want to play for you guys and respond to. Just a quick reminder. I'm sure you all know. It's, it's well known at this point yeah. that we do, in fact, have a, a phone number. It's uh, 833-600-2428. Yes, that's 833-600-CHAT. Call us anytime. Literally anytime. And, and leave we'll play us it on message. the podcast. Yes. Listen, we're about to do it right here. That's this right. Is proof the- of our commitment to this to this we would never lie to you but here's proof anyways that we will play your voicemail so let's let's do that right now joey benji what's good it's your boy kyle d what's going on just checking in on you appreciate the love and support the podcast is here you are affable dude anyway so you already know ain't no problem man to chat you already know how this chat thing goes be your podcast brothers you got the official affable fan just just do you doing you do your chat and keep it church. I know you're gonna keep it church, man. Shout out. Just shout you out, hauling at your man. It's all love. I appreciate the the energy and we here. Hit the town, we do something big. We gonna make a big conversation in this joint. You already know what it is. Uh AC fan in the flesh. Kyle Bigavelli, shout out to AC. What's good? I see you. It's love, appreciate it. It's honor, appreciate it. Ow. Wavy, baby. Yeah. What an absolutely amazing voicemail. There's no other word but amazing. <laughs> it is. No, and, and uh, first thing, it just hops out at me. Kyle is a true fan because yes, he, he referenced our 50th episode where we talked about, like, if you're a, like, a true Apple Chat fan, you're an AC fan. Uh, That's right. Air, central air conditioning joke there and <laughs> but no and and dude it, it is all love like i i the, kyle is a great example of like we just love to hear from you guys like he's just putting out positive energy um part of the reason this podcast is called affable chat is because we want it to be a source of positivity of of, of you know friendliness and um and and also just like kyle said big conversations that's what we're doing here that's right affable dude. dudes. That's, that's church and that is church i can tell like kyle gets it dude i i i've getting this message brightened my whole week up so oh my god me too <laughs> shout outs kyle um you're Thank a true you, kyle. ac fan dude and that's church all right i put that on everything and uh and that's church all right so shout outs kyle thank you so much for the message um anybody else out there you got something to say dial that number all right uh but we're gonna go ahead and get into this episode right now uh and we're going to be talking about the movie galaxy quest it's a core meltdown sir it can't be stopped. Surrender may be our only option. No, never give up, never surrender. You order, sir? Sir, who orders? Activate the Omega-13. This is a classic science fiction affectionate parody comedy with an ensemble cast. Directed by Dean Parasot. The cast includes <clears throat> Ellen Ripley, George W. Bush, Adrian Monk, Professor Snape, Elias, NCIS New Orleans, and also Dwight, Amak, and Cleo Coles, also known as Fran Stalin Oskovsky David Oskovsky. Very good pronunciation there, Joey. It's a difficult name. Thank you. I think I, you uh, nailed it. I uh, definitely did practice that for hours and uh how about how uh, so how do we watch this movie i watch it on youtube joey how did you watch it i also watched it on youtube 
All right, well, why don't you give us the synopsis for Galaxy Quest? Yeah, uh, Galaxy Quest. Okay, uh, a man is forced to ask some nerds for help. That's right. That's a Galaxy Quest. Let's get right into it with our pros and cons. Um, I- I'll go first on the pros. Uh, this movie okay. is so accessible. I think it's it's one of the most amazing qualities of a movie that's very clearly a parody. Um, and so I, I just want to get that out. We'll, we'll obviously expand on that. Uh, but as but it's so accessible, which I think is really difficult to do um, when you're doing a parody. The cast is amazing. Uh, it's part of the reason why we our, our cast list is so long. Uh, yes. It's hard to leave anybody out because the, it's, uh, it's a very deep cast. That's great. It's a very unique idea, even though it's, it's definitely a parody. It goes beyond the requirements of just a parody and really becomes its own type of parody, its own thing, uh, which I think is really impressive. And the it's an ensemble cast. The characters are able to share the spotlight very effectively, which is always hard to do when you're sh- when you've got uh, Tim Allen out there. He's gonna he's such a star, <laughs> uh, but the other characters get their ch- their chance to shine. And of course, you if you're a comedy, you have to be funny. And this movie was funny. It is funny. It's so funny. This movie really does deliver. I think the script is just perfect. The casting, like you said, is brilliant. It's a fun, fun, fun movie. Um, the premise is, I think, more relevant now than it ever was uh, before, and it pays homage to classic sci-fi while also po- poking fun at it and its fans. It's, it's really, um, I think accessible is, is not the word that I would have thought of, but I think I definitely agree. That's, that's definitely a, a great way to describe it. All right, so what, what, are you, what are your cons for this movie, Joey? It was hard to come up with anything really substantial. One really stands out, which is the objectification of Sigourney Weaver, um, in that she like eventually becomes exactly the parody of the thing that she was a, a like a first a parody of, I guess. Like she kind of leans into it, which is kind of a theme in this movie, but it's uh it's not necessarily necessary. I should I should say. The special effects kind of leave a little bit to be desired, but actually a lot of it still looks really good. Um and the there's some message about like lying being a bad thing all the time like objectively bad not really sure where that goes but um that's that's all i got what about you uh i agree with the biggest for me the biggest obvious one is the objectifying sigourney weaver especially i i it's tough to say this on a podcast where we were where we talk about movies but i haven't seen alien so i don't really I don't really know exactly why Sigourney Weaver is such a badass in Alien, but she is a badass in Alien, so it's kind of difficult to see her in another sci-fi movie where she plays a, like, textbook like or or just like the objectified woman role uh part of the reason why people think sci-fi nerds are problematic is because they're this kind of role exists and is like kind of glorified and so it was kind of difficult to see her in that and i i assume it's even more difficult to see her in that role if you've actually seen and like the movie alien uh but i agree with you on that and also the the like just going beyond that the fact that tim allen ends up with sigourney weaver at the end of the movie i thought was pretty unnecessary and really completes the uh, like problematic uh angle that they were going at with this character yeah i i agree although i think there is kind of a reason for it but we can talk about that later. we can and uh that, but that's it i really think there's that much to complain about this movie was fun it was funny and um let's let's get into it so okay uh, into our overall section um and what a movie right joey <laughs> <laughs> what a movie i okay but the thing that's interesting is this movie really won me over because when i when it opened up it was so clearly a star trek um parody that i my 
hopes dived. I, I, did you know that I haven't seen Star Trek? No, but I assumed you hadn't seen much of it. I, yeah, I have not. Because people who love Star Trek never stop talking about it. Okay, well, <laughs> then yes. You could probably assume since I never talk about it, but I really haven't experienced any any Star Trek at all. The closest I've gotten to actually watching Star Trek, I think, was watching the Priceline uh, commercials that had uh, William Shatner. <laughs> Oh my god. You remember Price Line yes, I remember Negotiator? Those are really good. <laughs> one of my did you, wait, did you not see the new Star Treks? None of them. You didn't see any of the three ones? Three of, there were three of them. No. And I know that they did well. I know a lot of people loved them. I, I completely because they start they were coming out back when I was um more of a Star Wars fan and it was like a mm. light rivalry mm. so I never felt the urge mm. to go see Star Trek but <laughs> but so at first this movie looked like it was going to oh. be so hack to me okay I thought they were going to get the whole movie was going to be getting cheap laughs off of outdated Star Trek references that I wouldn't get anyways because I'm kind of a Star Wars guy but even that I'm not much of a Star Wars guy anymore uh, but that's not the point um, I, I didn't think that I was going to like this movie because it was so from the very beginning it was so clearly about Star Trek but as the film went on not only did I realize that this movie was actually funny, uh, but I also realized that you didn't, you absolutely did not need any prior knowledge of Star Trek at all. Um, this is truly impressive to me uh, because this movie is, cl- I, and again, you're going to have to tell me if, it, if it's super, how close it gets to being accurate, how many times they're, they're really referencing uh, Star Trek sh- strongly. Um, but even without that prior knowledge of Star Trek lore, I absolutely enjoyed this movie on its own. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so much to love about it. I think like the story itself, like supports a lot of that. Like you don't, you don't have to know everything about Star Trek to follow the story pretty easily. As long as you understand like syndicated TV, it becomes pretty clear, like what the joke is. Um, and there's many aspects of the movie that work because of the tropes and zaniness that a lot of us are very familiar with, um, because of that, that format. Um, I personally agree with this argument. Uh, that this the Galaxy Quest is the best Star Trek movie. Oh no! And there's a lot of really great like evidence for that. Um, see, like Star Trek is fun and it broke a lot of barriers. Um, but the thing that really makes it last, like far beyond any, like far beyond any of the show after the shows have concluded. Obviously, Star Trek Discovery is still on on CBS. What? What? Yes. Hold on. Hold That's on. That's a new. It's a new show. They're still making new Star Trek. Yes. No one. No one's really sure how to feel about Discovery. It's pretty divisive. Wow. It's very different. <laughs> but anyway, there. Yeah. It's there have been so many different series of Star Trek. It's lasted a really long time, and that's because of its devotion, the devotion to the idea by its fans. And Galaxy Quest is really a movie about the fans and the relationship they have with these fictional characters that are lovingly brought to life. Um, you know, from the strong-headed cat and reckless captain to the child on the bridge to the female character that is only there for eye candy. This movie builds off an established framework, just kind of like how Megamind does, to deliver a, a different kind of story. It's not really about facing down evil or clever maneuvers or fancy gadgets or special effects. It's really about a group of people that realize they have something truly special and that they can only, co- only when they come together and embrace that uniqueness are they able to be successful. It's a story about personal growth, which is something that's kind of rare in Star Trek itself, because every episode is, you know, it's episodic, right? Every episode resets everything back to where it was. And your, your characters kind of develop, but it's, it's very slow and it's very gradual. And it's over the course of seasons. It's not really over the course of episodes. So uh, even in the Star Trek movies, I mean, there are some ones that have certain like amounts of consequence to them. 
they they still kind of are episodic in a way. And Galaxy Quest is is a little bit more than that because it tells like an entire story from beginning to end of this crew and how they become like an actual team. It's I, I think that's like that's everything that Star Trek wanted to be and was able to deliver on that in a really like really fun way yeah no and well just being able to deliver on that at all i'm starting to see why this is the best the best star trek uh, right right. in air quotes i think like if you want to make an argument like you want to have a debate about star wars versus star trek i feel like galaxy quest is a really good feather in your cap for star trek just because it's like it's showing that they can take a a premise of star trek which is usually pretty melodramatic and make it fun and different and accessible to lots and lots of people and celebrate the thing that really makes it great that's something that star wars has never been able to do um and you can you imagine like a star wars movie that's like similar to this where it's like not taking itself too seriously it's like a parody of itself it's it's like embracing the fan culture there's no like you could like argue Star Wars that would never. You could argue that the uh, the prequels are all parodies, <laughs> but no, 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 no you're but right. That's you're the right. Thing. It's like they're they're all taken perfectly seriously. Mm-hmm. It's all completely straight. Obviously, Star Trek, Star Wars has its jokes and stuff, and Star Trek does too. But it, like the the it's that depth that Galaxy Quest adds to the Star Trek, like ca- not canon, but it's it's like I don't know, it's repertoire. It's it's um. You know, it's utility belt, I guess you could say. Well, it, it's one of its tools that it can say, look, we, we really do love our fans and we really like embrace this idea. Well, and going back to saying, like, if you want to have an argument of Star Wars versus Star Trek, just to be clear, since Disney acquired Star Wars, I my opinion of the entire <laughs> series has dropped off substantially. And also, I don't know enough about Star Trek to argue because I've always just... I've always been like, oh, it's not the good one that starts with star, right? Like, it's, so I don't think that's a very good opinion to have. In fact, this movie gives me a lot of faith in the idea of Star Trek because of how much I enjoyed it. Uh, but one of the reasons I really enjoyed this movie was because of the ensemble cast. Uh, Tim Allen is naturally the leading man. He plays the part well. He's confident. He loves being in the spotlight. And he's got the cliche lines down. Uh, one of my favorite ones was when he was... He was he thought he was on mute, uh, but he's like, this guy's as stupid as he is ugly. Like, that's a classic, <laughs> like, I could see that being on a syndicated television sci-fi show. Um, and, and it makes sense that he would drive the action um, because, you know, he's so in love with being this celebrity and going to space. And now the thing that he's a celebrity for is actually real. That all makes sense to, to, to pull them all out there. So I, I think he did that well. Um, and then his transformation from being like, like the narcissist to being the lovable leader who, who knows how to share the spotlight, I think was, it was good. It, it felt natural. It felt um, like it gave it, a, you know, it really gave him a character arc. The yeah. one thing I thought was a little bit shoehorned in, though, was the creation of like the love story where they talk about how it's like, oh, they never had a love story before, you know, in the show. It wasn't a thing. And then he gets the kiss at the end. Yeah, he yeah, gets yeah. the girl, which, to be fair, due to his actions, the things he did in this movie, he became like a galactic hero, basically, because oh, the yeah. implication is that should uh, I, I need to say his name. What is the name of the alien? Um the, the bad uh, the, guy. The evil alien? Yeah. Saris? Saris, that's right. Saris, if he got the Omega-13, there's a chance maybe he would have destroyed all existence because they said that that was like potentially what it could do. But So sure. having him, you know, I mean, it took a lot of teamwork. Everyone kind of worked together, but 
Tim Allen led them in saving the universe. He's a cool guy. Still, Sigourney Weaver could have been like, that's awesome, but I don't have to kiss you about it. I'm my you know own person. Saying? Like, yeah, no, no one yeah, else is okay, kissing so him. I, I, I want to like uh, get into this a little bit later, but I think the like the whole idea behind this or like the reason why I think that is justified is because they eventually embrace the roles that they were supposed to play. Right. And one of those things that they hint at earlier is that they meet that one girl and who's like, I think I always thought that you guys had so much good chemistry on screen. Like, did you guys ever have a thing? Like one of the, you know, a Tumblr shipper, like in classic form. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Like she, like there's clearly a, like sexual tension between the two on the show and that comes to fruition as they fully embrace the roles that they are playing and that's kind of a that's like a, a slow transition throughout this movie is each of the people in our cast slowly embracing this this thing that they were rejecting yes um and so the them getting together is just kind of another like aspect of that right and and i felt like that worked well for most of the characters but it like let's go to sigourney weaver yeah, yeah so yeah objectively like without any context no it's it doesn't really don't you don't need well it it makes me wonder because you're right i i don't think that they're going at it as a like let's make sigourney weaver look ridiculous or like this one's for the horny sci-fi guys they were i think they were doing (laughs) what you're saying which is having the characters all you know uh slowly but surely embrace their roles from the show and uh you know come together and succeed uh and you know win or you know yeah yeah. uh, but I can't help but wonder what her character, Sigourney Weaver's character, would have been like if this movie was made today. Um, like, I thought it was funny that they pointed out that she's basically a pair of boobs that repeats the computer pointlessly. Um, <laughs> but then she goes to accept her role, which is the whole... I feel like that could have been enough. But they go... I mean, they push it further, which, again, is still accurate to probably what was on the show, which having her clothes get more and more revealing. Um, and then in the end, she ends up being with Naismith, you know? And mm-hmm. while you you can give them the 1999 pass, like you can give them the pre-2000s, this isn't actually problematic pass. But, <laughs> I mean, Disney's doing that with Disney+. Plus. Do you see their disclaimer they put out with Disney+, Plus, yeah, where yeah, they're yeah. like, some of our things have outdated, like, cultural scenarios like you don't get mad at us for it like don't cancel us uh and i i I guess they could make the same argument here um but i i don't know i i was it left me wanting something better for sigourney weaver in this movie definitely i i I completely agree but i mean it was so it was almost funny how gratuitous the uh like the boot side boob was in this oh my gosh like like (laughs) the more like obviously her character on the show had like the the window onto her chest yes but also like none of the other characters clothes got all that much tattered like alan rickman's like little uh prosthetic head or whatever started to peel but no one else's clothes started coming apart but hers it's like you can see her entire left boob for like the last 20 minutes of the movie and it's like (laughs) oh boy i don't know i I, (laughs) it felt gratuitous but i think you're right it's justified based on what they're going for with these characters yeah but let's no i go ahead i i don't yeah i don't yeah, I, I think I've said my point. Me so. too. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to focus too much on that. Uh, but the other the other characters uh, in, the, in yes. the crew, um, Alan Rickman, 
he is a much better actor than is required for this movie, which makes him perfect to play the part of Alexander Dane. I yes, because the the cover of this movie, when I looked at the cover art, Alan Rickman is right there, but he's wearing this weird head thing, so I didn't recognize him. I was so happily surprised to see Alan Rickman in this movie. There was this uh, thing from a uh, well, it was one tr- piece of trivia from our. Um imdb that said that alan rickman hates sci-fi movies and so that's why he felt like he was perfect to play this um his, like he was really looking forward to like poking fun there stuff, it is so. there it is so i i really loved the casting of him as the classical actor the the guy who can yes. be convinced to stay for the sh- to, to perform just because someone says the show must go on <laughs> well damn you so damn you <laughs> Um, so yeah, I definitely got to shower some praise on, on Alan Rickman. Uh, cause he, oh, yeah. he was great. So good to see him. Um, but, but oh, yeah, I mean the, the rest of the characters too. Um, I, like I felt like the, the whole crew had personality. The whole crew got their moments. Like Fred, uh, gets to that moment where he gets to believe in himself with the, uh, the reference to beam me up Scotty. Um, yes. what is it in this movie? He says something else. It's the, digitize uh, me, Fred. I think. Digitize me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then Tommy uh, learns to, you know, drive or to be the pilot, which is what his character did on the show. And then uh, Guy becomes a full-fledged person. And Guy is just so, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I love Sam Rockwell. And mo- much of the reason is because of this movie. Um, he is, like, it's so perfect. And, like, that whole the whole thing with, like, after he gets on the, the little ship, right, uh, to go down to the alien planet, the whole time they're on that alien planet with him, he steals the show. He is like, he is like, like he doesn't have much many lines before that. And even after that, he's kind of pushed to the side. But like at that point, he just goes completely off the rails and he's totally crazy. Um, he's like, ah, like bringing up all these things about how they don't know what's going to happen, how he's going to die and be eaten by aliens. It's so funny. Yeah, uh, I think he's amazing. And he's my favorite part of this movie. And it's so great because I feel like at the beginning, he's like, he totally, um, you know, just shoehorns himself in or that's not the right word but like he just tags along and oh, like, yeah. oh yeah I'll I'll come along for this adventure like yeah you know give me some money or whatever right and then he gets way in over his head and then he becomes like it becomes so worth it to have this annoying guy <laughs> yeah at the beginning yeah no he definitely oh, so he already it, it's again it's the uh becoming the character they were on the show because he was originally a a member of one episode where he died five minutes in and that was like kind of funny to him at the convention and then once it becomes reality it's it's absolutely terrifying is that is that accurate though for star trek i I wasn't aware of how like gruesome or brutal star trek really was okay so um it depends right in the in the original series at least the first like five or six episodes tons of people die like like every episode there's like six or seven maybe eight or nine like like unnamed characters that are killed while they're trying to solve this problem um and most of the, like the whole joke is that they the ones that die wear red shirts um that's like the the joke is like he's a red shirt okay 
Um, so yeah, he's crewman number six and he's like, I think he says something to the effect of like, um, I'm the one that's the, I, I'm supposed to die to show that the danger is real right, or something right. like that. And that's like the, the whole purpose of them. And they're like, yes, uh, the enterprise, at least in Star Trek is like this humongous ship with all of these passengers and stuff. So they always, they have an unlimited amount of people to kill essentially. Uh, so they can always find more people to like, you know, be, you know, get ejected into space or whatever. Right. Right. And, and of course they're parodying Star Trek. So of course they're going to bring that in. But just if you have any general knowledge of science fiction, there's plenty of nameless people who die so the, the joke oh, yeah, definitely yeah. still lands even without prior knowledge definitely yeah so there's i feel like there's so much about this movie that beneath the surface that love to love but there's so much just at the surface that's also beautiful the thermians the like with their human disguises are just hysterical <laughs> like the way they talk the way they clap the way they walk is all so amazing uh and like and even when they're like flailing around suffocating they like and it's also comical they're like you know in the barracks like like Whoa! there's still this sense of like pat pathos behind it you know that kind of transcends the wackiness they're truly like heartwarming and like naive characters that you really want to root for you really want to see to succeed because they're so like hapless and they're, they're just so strange looking with the way they walk and everything the, the so uh wikipedia article for galaxy quest has thermians hyperlinked like the word thermians hyperlinked and i clicked on yeah. it and they're on like wikipedia's list of fictional or well i guess they're of alien races uh on mm-hmm. like they have this huge list they've compiled and the description for thermians is that they're um it's like friendly aliens pleading for help against oppression like that's their whole thing <laughs> and to, for that to uh, categorize them they have to be uh super nice like they have to be something that everybody uh, wants to help and i think they they yeah. pull that off really well like even like the the almost like soundless laugh where they kind of go like yeah <laughs> you're not even sure what's happened to yeah them. and and yeah like you said the clapping like every, all their little mannerisms are so great especially at the beginning when there's the four of them kind of like parading together yes. almost and uh i agree the thermia is really easy to root for i mean while we're talking about aliens saris's alien race was yeah the lobster guys yeah they were gross and terrifying and, and they embodied everything that like random evil aliens should you know it was the perfect choice. oh yeah the character design is great and like the whole thing where like they're switch like he's switching between like he's being shocked he's switching between his natural octopus form and his like human disguise right like that that stuff looks great it's so cool no i agree and um I, like getting into the special effects for this movie they range from hilariously bad to surprisingly good, uh, especially because this movie itself is kind of old at this point. So even some of the stuff that would have been viewed yeah. as absolutely cutting edge in 1999 still holds up today. And, and overall, I think it helps with the aesthetic of it being like a, a movie a, a parodying old sci-fi that it's, I think right. it's at this point now that we're, you know, 20 years into the future, it's, it's locked in. It's this is gonna work. I think from now on, this is it's gonna be fine. Because I mean, some of the things kind of looked weird, like the the gel that covered their bodies. That was that had a very like Disney Channel commercial feel to it. But <laughs> at the same time, they had some things that looked pretty good. Uh, for instance, like I, I thought some of the space explosions looked fine. Uh, some of the like even the space just in general, uh, like shots of space, which are obviously CGI, looked fine. Um, and, and I, overall, I think it works, uh, for what they're going for in this film. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's largely practical stuff, right? I mean, the guys are wearing costumes. It's pretty obvious. Uh, obviously, the, the Thermians are, are CGI, but most of them are, they're usually in their, you know, human form. So it, it all fits together. Even like the rock monster, um, I feel like it's, that's something that's like cleverly animated because it's just like a bunch of rocks, which are like super easy to animate because it can just be blobs and they're acting in like some human form or whatever. Like it's like, that's what makes like you, CGI works really well when you use less of it. Yes. And when you like, when you kind of disguise the unnaturalness of it by hi- behind it being an alien or behind it being something natural that's supposed to take some sort of other form, your mind does fills in the rest of the blanks and it becomes like a better effect. Well, speaking of that rock monster, did he have a character arc? Because I feel like he kind of did. Back when Tim Allen is originally, you know, getting chased by the rock monster and he's asking for help, Alan Rickman is like, what's its motivation you know he's trying he's going at it the classical <laughs> actor thing and he's like motivation you know it's like what is it and, and tim allen totally brushes him off but later when they teleport the rock monster onto the ship and i might be going on a limb here but when he busts out the side and floats in space he almost looks happy he looks peaceful <laughs> he's just like floating was that his motivation <sighs> he wanted to be finally like i don't know free of free. gravity or something <laughs> i don't know maybe, maybe yeah, I'm, I'm, i'll take it i don't have anything to to uh discount that yeah so. maybe i'm re- i don't know I'm, I'm grasping at straws here but it was in, an interesting shot when he came out of the ship because they kind of like hesitate on him for a moment and, yeah 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 and i uh, it's like oh the, the rock monster the poor rock monster the poor rock monster, or maybe like good good for the rock monster now he doesn't have to keep destroying things maybe that's what he wanted to finally be at peace but if he really wanted to be at peace couldn't he just stay at a rock pile you know <laughs> <laughs> okay so there's there's one thing about this movie that i thought i felt like you would like it's i guess it's kind of subtle but it's something that i felt like you would really appreciate and i'm not sure if you caught on to it or not i feel like you might have so This movie does kind of a similar thing to something like Sucker Punch does in that it covers its holes with a clever premise. Yes. Like it says all of these illogical things about how the ship works or like all these things about, you know, how the technology works or, or why they would do something like this is because that's how they did it on the show, obviously. So they have to copy what was on the show, whether it makes sense or not. I actually, it's it's in my quote section, but I, I kind of feel like we could skip to it just because you've you've brought it to that point. So we'll, we'll okay. go ahead and play this this quote. Is there no one on your planet who behaves in a way that's contrary to reality? You are speaking of deception, deception lies. lies. We have only recently become aware of this concept in our dealings with Ceres. Often Ceres will say one thing and do another, promise us mercy, but deliver destruction. It is a concept we are beginning to learn at some great cost. So this is, this is just like the movie The Invention of Lying. Uh, and it hmm. opens the door for so many possibilities because, like you said, they based everything in this off of the show. So... It just be, like you can say it's logical just off the uh, the basis that it's a parody. This movie is a parody of Star Trek, so if right. it would be something in Star Trek, it can exist in this movie. And the reason that they base their society off of you know Star Trek parody is because they thought it was real. And right. I this for, I mean 
this movie had a lot of clever bits, but I, I think this is the most clever thing, and it, it allows the movie to exist. Without this, you would point to like, oh, okay, that's silly that they would have the exact same thing. Like, what are the chances that Star Trek, like if they did an, uh, a different premise, which is that Star Trek just happened to be exactly accurate, and Tim Allen's like knowledge of the show allows him to be this this super captain, it still probably would have been funny or interesting, but it wouldn't work on the level that this one does, where there are, you honestly have the answer for everything that happens, which is it happened on the show. Exactly. Uh, it's clever, and it, it, like, it brings you further into the movie. It's a, it's a more immersive way of, of making it happen. It's, it's pretty good. No, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's like, okay, no one else can do this now. Like They, they got this idea first. <laughs> And, um, and, and it's, I don't know, it's brilliant. It really is. It, it's, uh, it takes this movie from just being like a funny idea to being like a, a real concept, like a real, uh, a, yeah, a yeah, reason yeah. to sit down and, and, and watch this movie instead of something else. All right. Um, do you want to move on to our cool Easter eggs? Yes. And I, 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 I think you have a few, don't you? You, you've had, I have quite a bit. <laughs> All right. So let's get, let's get into it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, the the scene the first one uh, the scene where Tim these are all from IMDb by the way I took all these and they're all amazing and there's so many in there that I skipped so if you if you like these then go check out IMDb's list of uh, fun facts from this movie uh, so the first one the scene where Tim Allen is in the men's room overhearing how the cast of Galaxy Quest are nobodies and all the co-stars can't stand uh, can't stand him mirrors an actual event in William Shatner's life. He discovered the exact same things about himself when he attended a 1986 convention. Wow. So this and there's I think there's another uh, aspect of this that was also based in reality. Um, that's right. Uh, Gwen DeMarco, uh, who is uh, Scorny Weaver's um, character, laments that her t- TV guide uh, interview was six paragraphs about my, about my boobs and how they fit into my suit. And this actually happened to Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine on, Air, on Star Trek Voyager, uh, which started in 1995. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so there's some there's a there's quite a few of these like little tiny details in this movie that are taken from real gaffes in uh, in Star Trek. For like the example, like when he's uh, holding the, uh, the, uh, the 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 little tracking device upside down, that was a th- that was in the very first episode of Star Trek. Spock is holding the communicator upside down, um, <laughs> and of course, like it's the first episode, he has no idea how it's supposed to work, right? <laughs> Oops. But it's not consistent with how everyone else does it or how the rest of the show does it. So it's amazing. Wow, um, this is the type of stuff. I-, I assumed there were more references that I wasn't getting just because it is so There's clearly Star too Trek. too many to count, But thi- this is another level. This is like we even are referencing the real life of the actors who are in this. Yes, that's what makes this movie so cool. It's, it's, it's breaking down that wall so perfectly. Okay, well, there's a... Uh, th- I have one uh, Easter egg for us, and it's the scene where they go into the... I think they call them the Chompers, um, where it's part of the yeah, ship yeah. where all those metal things are... Clashing together, (laughs) and uh, Sigourney Weaver says this. Well, screw that! And I actually didn't notice this for the first time I I saw it, but I um, actually saw this on Wikipedia because Wikipedia was talking about how this movie was originally rated R. And one of the reasons was because of this line. She actually doesn't say, well, screw that. If you read her lips, she very clearly says, well, fuck that. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> there's also um, another another aspect where they cut out some some cursing at the very beginning. Uh, Tommy, when he's reading the newspaper, uh, Tim Allen comes in and he says something, and Tommy says, "You're so full of it, man." Uh, but that's the actual line of the movie. But the the original line, which was dubbed over, was, uh, "You're so full of shit." Which I didn't. So, I didn't. Uh, um, that's that doesn't go into the ratings, right? PG thirteen, you can only have one f bomb. But yeah, I didn't know about s bombs if they were. I don't. I don't think they count toward it. But they. But it would have made it. I don't think you could have them in PG movies, which this movie is rated PG. Oh wait, was when did PG thirteen come out? Because I know that uh, that was uh, like b- before this. I'm okay, sure. well, because there's definitely was... an era of yeah, movies yeah. that are rated PG that are like, ooh, this is definitely PG thirteen. But yes, uh, no, that's a. Uh, I can't remember what year that is, but I believe it's the early 90s. This came out in 1999. Okay. Maybe uh, it was the 80s. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I kind of assumed PG-13. I didn't actually look at the rating. So, uh, But PG, uh, there are definitely some parts of this movie that push the limits on that. For instance, like those gremlin-looking monsters that were on oh the planet. Oh, my gosh. That, that was like legitimately a little bit terrifying. And, um, and it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, kind of a lot of side boob for a PG movie. And it's a lot of, yeah, I'm not, say, I'm not like, saying that it shouldn't be PG. But I'm just saying that... <laughs> a little bit yeah, of yeah yeah well, that's saying. the thing that's, that's what you're saying is like it was originally supposed to have a much darker tone yes and it was supposed to be um and it was like rated r or pg-13 and they eventually cut it down to be pg and i think i think it's to its benefit because i think it's the, the jokes are a little childish but they're actually hysterical all the way through it's very funny um and that makes it a fun movie for everyone so um my next uh, Easter egg. This film was one of the earliest to have its own internet domain and website, galaxyquest.com, now available only via the uh, Wayback Machine. However, uh, rather than being a polished part of film's marketing campaign, the site, in keeping with the film's fandom theme, was deliberately designed to look like a fan page with screen captures and poor HTML coding. That's very funny. That's great. I thought that was so Dang, funny. Dang, man. Okay, I'm starting, I'm, I'm starting to like this movie even more. <laughs> Oh man. Okay, so there's there's uh there's a, there's a thing from the audio uh commentary for Star Trek uh, where JJ Abrams who's the director of that movie, the the 2009 version. He says, um, "By the way, I think we've all gone on record as saying one of the favorite Trek films is Galaxy Quest." And this a sequence where Kirk and Sulu are falling toward Vulcan without parachute, which I know you don't have a reference to, but it's a very iconic scene from the first movie, um, is clearly an homage to Tony Shalhoub's great save in that film. Where uh, so basically Scotty in the, in the movie has to uh, teleport two people from that are fall, free falling toward a planet uh, into their um, into the ship. And he says, J.J. Abrams says, this is a reference to Galaxy Quest where uh, Tony Shalhoub's, uh, Fred's character, uh, uh, teleports Tim Allen onto the ship uh, from underneath the, the rock monster. Whoa. Dang. I, um, I thought that that was a reference to Beam Me Up, Scotty. Well, he might have said, you know, disintegrate me, Fred. But, uh, no, no, no. It, it definitely is. But, I mean... Uh, uh, no, you're right. That's where that's what they're referencing in Galaxy Quest. But J.J. Abrams is saying that he referenced Galaxy Quest in his official Star Trek. Movie. Wow, that is amazing. Yes, it comes full circle. <laughs> There's actually a whole bunch of quotes which I don't have listed here because it would take me forever to read them all. But all all these quotes from uh, people that were in Star Trek, including from uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, William Shatner, uh, George Sakai, uh, Will Wheaton, all talking about how much they love Galaxy Quest and how it's like one of their favorite Star Trek movies and how they got everything right. There's so many parts of it that they got right. There's, for example, there's a there's a part where he uh, Tim Allen loses his shirt 
And, a, yes. and apparently Will Sh- William Shatner was known for taking his shirt off during fights in almost every episode he could get, get away with it. <laughs> yeah. So when, so when he says, uh, when Scorny Weaver says, there goes the shirt, George Sakai says, how many times do we hear that on set? <laughs> I mean, Alan Rickman gives him a little bit of, uh, you know, a little business for that, too. He's like, you managed to get your shirt off. Uh, Amazing. Dang. Wow. (laughs) Keep going. Keep going. What else? We got one more. Um, The the character Guy Fliegman was an intentional homage to a very busy Star Trek The Next Generation actor, Guy Veridman, who not only played several no-name extras in the series, but also served as a stunt-slash-stand-in double for Brent Spider, played Data, and Will Wheaton, who played Wesley. His reaction to the homage, I just about fell out of my chair, having forgotten being told that the character would appear in a film someday. Wow. So, yeah, the guy is not just a funny name for a generic guy. It's a direct reference to a, like a very hardworking extra in Star Trek The Next Generation. Man, it works on multiple levels, though. Like, having a guy named Guy is perfect if you're just a random. Uh, but it's also a reference to a real person. I'm blown away. These are really Dude, good. Dude, there's Easter so eggs. many. Okay, and I, I'd be remiss to not mention that there's a Galaxy Quest documentary about the background of the film and its cultural impact that's coming out in a couple weeks. You're kidding um, me. It's, uh, it's uh, Fandom and Screen Junkies uh, produced it. Um, and it's got interviews from a lot of the famous, uh, most well-known uh, Star Trek actors talking about how much of uh, impact Galaxy Quest on had on culture. Um, and Wait. it's coming out in a couple of weeks. It's going to be screened in certain theaters across the country. And then probably available on digital, like right after probably, that? Probably, yeah. I'm not sure, but yeah, I assume so. Well, so I'm putting that on my check Christmas that out. list. Definitely. That's epic. Um, well... I really feel like this is going to underwhelm uh, juxtaposed <laughs> with your amazing uh, Easter eggs, but I'll, I'll say it anyways. Justin Long, uh, who's great in this movie, and Rain Wilson uh, both simultaneously had their film debut in this movie, uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that is cool. I didn't know guys. it was Rain Wilson's uh, film debut, but yeah, he plays kind of a minor part. Of course, he's totally recognizable even without the glasses. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> If he wasn't playing an alien, it would be hard to recognize him, honestly. Well, and obviously this isn't like a reference or anything, but I wonder how much of uh, like his this being his film debut went into his casting as uh, Dwight in The Office because Dwight is also famously a big time uh, nerd or like a sci-fi mm. kind of guy. Although he is more into Battlestar Galactica, not Star Trek, but still sci-fi and, uh, and very nerdy. Definitely. Okay, uh, let's move forward to our quotable moments, and I believe you have the first one, Joey. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> computer, is there a, a replacement beryllium sphere on board? Computer, is there a replacement beryllium sphere on board? Negative. Uh, no uh, reserve beryllium sphere uh, exists on board. No, we have no extra beryllium sphere on board. You know, that is really getting annoying. Look, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it, okay? This is uh, Sigourney Weaver talking about her job on the ship, which, which is 
So funny. Oh my gosh, what a hilarious job, right? All she does is talk to the computer. Nobody else can talk to it. And she has to relay the information back to them. And they, they can't do anything about it. What are they going to say? Stop? Like, <laughs> It reminds me of like when two people are arguing and they have a third person come in and be like, tell so-and-so that they can do whatever they yeah, want. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, well, tell this person. Like, it's such an unnecessary step. Yes. Uh, it's so good. Um, yeah, and I think I, this, this plays a couple different parts. First, like showing how uh, Sigourney Weaver's character, at least on the show, was totally, um, you know, uh, inconsequential. She had basically nothing to do except to stand there and be a pair of boobs. Um, and then uh, it also shows like her, uh, her one of, she's one of the first people that truly embraces her role on the ship um, and, and, and steps into that character that she played for such a long time. Well, and also I don't, I don't want us to go too hard against the green. Like Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver is a. Uh, this kind of goes along with that's it. a Freudian slip. She's well, she's hot, dude. Like it's it's not like you know I'm saying she is like as a male member of the audience, I'm not hating seeing Sigourney Weaver's uh, side boob, but um, you know not use like thinking with my actual brain i'm like this doesn't seem necessary in 2019 okay um but i I don't want it to seem like we're totally immune to her female charm because she is obviously like a uh a hot sci-fi babe Um, she really is so okay uh here's our next quote i changed my mind i want to go back after the fuss you made about getting left behind yeah, but that's what I thought. I was the crewman that stays on the ship and something is up there and it kills me. But now I'm thinking I'm the guy who gets killed by some monster five minutes after we land on the planet. You're not gonna die on the planet, guy. I'm not? What's my last name? It's, uh, um, uh, I don't know. Nobody knows! Do you know why? Because my character isn't important enough for a last name. Because I'm gonna die five minutes in. Guy, you have a last name. Do I? Do I? Yes. For all you know, I just come in number six. <laughs> <laughs> I loved this this uh, this sequence because even though these characters all know that he's a real person, like to them, he's all very real. To us, the audience, we don't know this guy very well. And it's it's seeming like as the, as the world around them becomes more real, as the Star Trek uh, becomes more real, they're in a spaceship, they're going to the planet, which is a very Star Trek thing to do, that he, he has regressed from being a full person who's an actor, who has a whole life outside of being crewman number six. A hu- this is a very small portion of his life. And it's now expanding to like, uh, become his entire personality and it's even absorbing his last name to the point where he truly <laughs> is no one he's just a, a nameless extra and I, I thought it was just hilarious how they built up to that and, and his his panic really drives it home oh my gosh yes this is so great and yeah from this moment on sam rockwell is just the star of everything that happens in the on on the planet um, and yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, this, again, this is him embracing the role that he's been given and then having the completely logical reaction of the existential dread of that you're going to die in some like completely insignificant way. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is uh, they they kind of build off of this later when they're on the uh, on the planet and they see all those little aliens. Yes. Let's get out of here before one of those kings kills Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
That's so funny. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, this is like a, this is actually a little hard to hear um, as they're doing it. It's kind of in between transitions, uh, but it's it's such a great line when you catch it just because like it's it's so clear that they like recognize the danger, but only to the point where like Guy is the only person that's going to be like has any uh, sense of like moral dread. Right, so. right. Like, there's all, there's literally monsters there. That there's so alien monsters that they've never seen before because they've only been on Earth their whole life and they're running away scared, but they're only worried that their nameless uh, companion might be like the victim. Which is, <laughs> that's right. Uh, like, he's the most vulnerable. <laughs> like, Let's get out of here before something bad happens, a.k.a. this guy dying, definitely not yes. us, because we all have first, last names. In fact, everyone in this movie has like four names because be- like, they have a first, last name and then a character with a first and last name. So right, they're right. safe for sure. <laughs> All right, last one. This is also from that uh, uh, another part in this uh, this sequence. Hey, don't open that! It's an alien planet. Is there air? You don't know. The way he delivers this is so uh, hilarious, and also like, yeah, true. Like, they, they they really do kind of play fast and loose with all of these rules, right? And they're like, oh, like everything plays out exactly as it does on Star Trek, um, including that they can go down to a planet and not have to wear spacesuits. Um, and that's like a completely illogical thing to happen. Um, like in real, if they were really going to a real planet, you know, like the atmosphere there could be completely different and completely hostile, or there could be no atmosphere whatsoever. So they like, this is a completely logical reaction, except that this movie doesn't take place in like a logical universe. It takes place in Star Trek universe. Um, and so they're, they're not, uh, you know, they're not really in danger from that. Well, it it works in one sense because it it's literally on the show so if it's on star trek it can exist in this universe that checks out right but at the same time they beat you to the punch the characters in the movie are pointing out hey this isn't logical we should have to wear spacesuits before you the audience can be like hey that's that's not correct like before neil degrasse tyson can put out another te- a tweet, tweet saying it's like actually the movie <laughs> galaxy quest isn't isn't uh uh, reliable. Like, if you were a real scientist, you'd instantly realize that getting out of that spaceship, they would instantly suffocate because there's no atmosphere on that planet. <laughs> that was a really good Neil deGrasse Tyson voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. Okay, let's keep watching sci-fi movies. I'll keep, I'll keep doing it. Uh, yeah, no, you're totally right, though. Like, that's that's exactly like the, the, the what makes this joke so funny. Is they address it before you can. Um, and then dismiss it like with a, just a shrug, uh, which is exactly what this movie it, like has done with all the logic um, in, the, in, in, in as far as like space travel goes. Yeah, and and you really dr- driven that point home for me. I, I was definitely getting to th- that feeling, but it's really what makes this movie special. Is it's basically bulletproof because of the logic within itself, which I, I really love. Yeah. Okay, Joey. I think you know what time it is. It's time for us to go a little deeper. Just side note, I've been listening to a lot of The Daily by, with uh, the New York Times and Michael Barbaro. At the end of the episode, he always says, and here's what else you need to know today. He always like rushes the last three words. And it always, I'm always like, what was that? <laughs> as, as I, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> as, a, as, like a, uh, as a fellow person who slows down his words at certain times during a recording, I, I'm flabbergasted <laughs> at your technique. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get deeper, Joey. Okay. 
So the, the thing, one of the big things I want to talk about is suspension of disbelief. This is the big theme in this movie, and we've kind of touched on it briefly, but there's several different aspects to it. First of all, uh, it's really interesting because for the, the fans love the thing so much that they wish it was real and sort of treat it as real, right? Justin Long's character and his nerd friends have a bunch of technical questions about how the ship works, right? He brings up this very tech, like this very interesting uh like uh technical um what's it uh, paradox and like or or yeah inconsistency mm -hmm. uh within the plans of the ship and he's trying to figure out like where the where the flaw lies uh, like which one is actually correct and then of course at the uh near the climax of the movie um tim allen calls him on the you know space phone and he, and justin lang says i knew it i knew it was real <laughs> <laughs> But there's also like the cosplay, the shipping, right? A lot of that stuff, of course, is, is kind of tongue in cheek, but uh, the people who are obsessive fans of anything, not just Star Trek, uh, they, they often uh, put so much energy into something that it becomes real to them. Um, and these characters take on a life of their own um, and them like dressing up as those characters brings those characters to real life. So like it's, it, it starts to transcend re like reality it starts to stop being fiction and starts to be really a thing and that makes it harder for you to suspend your disbelief or, or no easier for you to suspend your disbelief harder for you to deny that this thing is real next the thermians so the thermians can cannot do anything but believe it they don't have a concept of lying uh, which i want to talk about more in a second um but star trek and galaxy quest as uh, as a whole was meant to be an inspiring show the crew overcome adversity at every turn. And if you take it at face value, then it's truly amazing, right? Uh, even, if, even if you know it's not real, there's still something really amazing about how it all works. And interestingly, to model your ethics on the ethics described by Gene Roddenberry, who invented Star Trek, would be a really great place to start. And here I have a, a, a website I've pulled up from humanism.org.uk, uh, and they have a little article about Gene Roddenberry. And uh, so some of the values that Gene Roddenberry expressed in Star Trek include co cooperation and mutual encouragement. The crew smooth, the crew smooths, uh, smooths tensions by treating each other with care and concern. Peaceful problem solving. Kirk and Picard do not start fights. They try to talk first and work out peaceful solutions. At the same time, they are firm about what was right and to defend and they defend themselves against aggression. And actually, hold on, I know you're about to say something, but I, uh, what's interesting is that uh, Gene Roddenberry took issue with any sort of disagreement on the bridge. He, his model of the future was that no one would ever disagree. We all had such similar values that anything that we would all come to the same conclusions almost simultaneously. Go well, the, what you bring up is so clearly shown, not just in the respect that the Thermians and the, the cast of the Star Trek cast show to each other, but also it's explicit when Fred is talking, he's always offering like the solutions and then Tim Allen's like, yeah, do that. And then it works. Fred always turns to his guys and he's like, yeah, good job, you guys. Like, let, now let's hug, you know, like, <laughs> bring it in. <laughs> and uh, it just seemed kind of funny at the time where it's like, oh, he's really getting along with these aliens. But now I'm seeing what the real purpose was. It's this vision. Uh, yeah, this, yeah. This thought, this, this belief system. And I, I want to like make that a thesis at the end. But uh, the another great example is when uh, Tim Allen's character um, uh, starts fighting Saris, right? He, uh, when he's fighting him, 
um, the the first thing he does is just kind of blast him, and then it makes him angry, and then he comes back, right? It doesn't actually solve the problem. Whereas, you know, Gene Roddenberry says, we, we always talk first. It's always a negotiation first. It, violence is the second is the second issue. Um, sec one of the other uh, values that Gene Roddenberry wanted to instill in Star Trek was equal dignity and respect for every life form. Nothing is automatically considered worthless or inferior. And you see that as the show progresses, they have all these different people on the bridge that were like arch enemies in previous uh, iterations of the show. Uh, for example, Seven of Nine, who we've mentioned earlier, is a Borg uh, who is the big bad in Star Trek The Next Generation. And um, Captain Worf, who is in the on the bridge in Star Trek Next Generation, is a, uh, what's, what is it called? Dang it. What is it called? Klingon. Klingon. I've definitely heard of Klingon. That was a big brain fart. But yeah. So Wait, are they Klingon. the ones who do this with their hand? Or that's, they split? that's a Vulcan. A oh, Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's You're a, embarrassing. Well, that's the thing. You can't exist. Uh, you can't be born in the 90s and not know anything about Star Trek. Um, so I do know some stuff about Star Trek. But okay. of course, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know that much. I can do the Vulcan thing, though. Do you know what that means? Uh, no. I think it's a greeting. Live long and prosper. Yeah. It's oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, I did know. Oh, I didn't know that, but I've heard that. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Captain Worf is a Klingon who is one of the big bads in the original series. Uh, so he, wow. him being assimilated into the crew is a, a signal of that. But even further than that, this goes into into real life. Um, Gene Roddenberry uh, was very adamant about se sexual and racial equality. And he went against all stereotypes common in the 1960s. And he stood by his values. And, create, and, and, and wanted to create a hopeful vision of the future. Science and rational thinking were very important in Star Trek, but Gene Roddenberry included other humanist theme. The logic and reason were not enough, enough, on, the, enough on their own. Um, and he said he, had to, he struggled to keep black officers on his cast where some TV executives didn't want black and white people working together. And Roddenberry was quoted saying, if we don't have blacks and whites working together when our civilization reaches that time frame, the 24th century, there won't be any people. Um, and of course, television's first interracial kiss was seen on Star Trek. Wow. Dude, you're making so, a really strong argument for Star Trek uh, <laughs> right now. It's amazing. Uh, one of the other things is uh, no dogma or doctrine. Personal beliefs are respected, but dogma is not imposed on anyone um, as if it were the one and only truth. Um, and there's a reliance on science to find facts, but enjoyment of human emotions, spirituality, and intuition. Um, and, he, and he says that uh, Roddenberry uh, did not think of Star Trek as just science fiction. He saw it as mainly a series about people, which is why it's so popular. And he always insisted that the people in the show be treated equally. This led to some arguments within uh, television producers who thought otherwise. Um, and, uh, of course, like, there, he fought against that uh, tooth and nail. But I think this is such a great argument for why Galaxy Quest is such a great Star Trek movie. If you break down Star Trek and all to all of its just base elements and then rebuild it with like what what makes it its core, right? Galaxy Quest has all of those things. It's really a movie about people. It's really a movie about like overcoming adversity by cooperation, um, putting aside personal belief or dogma and looking re reaching for uh, not just science and reason, but human emotion and enjoying uh, the company of others. And that's. Ah, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Dang, I'm I'm blown away. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to learn more about this humanism. But also, ah oh man, like you know the old quote: uh, "You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain." I think yes, uh, from a Joaquin Phoenix, right? He said that. Yeah, of course, definitely him. Um, but also, you either 
die a Star Wars fan or live long enough to consider Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> we should all be so lucky. Right. No, this is this is really eye opening though. I, I'd never so, I'd never heard I just heard it was better. And obviously that's not a good <laughs> argument. So No, it's it, it's built on these on these ideas and it's uh it's it's very interesting. And that's like the whole thing is like the Thermians watched this show, right? And they were like, wow, these people exhibit all of this moral character, all of these great attributes. We should build a society around that. And like, you know, some people might agree. Yeah, no, no, it makes perfect sense. No, that, again, it's like a stronger argument for the reason that this um, movie has plot hole armor, basically. Yeah. So um, the last part about suspension of disbelief I want to touch on is the crew actually starts to believe in themselves uh, when they like, like not just like literally like figuratively as, figuratively as in like they 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 have confidence in themselves, but they literally believe that they are the people that they used to pretend to be. When they first arrive, they're so freaked out and scared. They don't think of themselves as heroes, but the Thermians, of course, do. As time goes on um, and they are successful in their missions, they learn confidence not just in themselves, but each other. Um, and each comes to embrace their given roles one at a time. Um, you see that with Sigourney Weaver uh, taking on her role of being the, the, the ship communicator um, and actually getting to um, solve issues. Like she says, like, you know, where do we have to go? What do we have to do? And actually communicating effectively with the computer, and, which none of the other people were able to do. And also attempting to turn off like the, the overload or whatever, the, the, when the ship is going to blow itself up, she yeah. does the obvious thing and says, hey, computer, stop it. And it, the computer can't. But it, right. I'm glad someone at least tried it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, she uses her one power for, or her one job to do that. Yeah. Then you see, um, uh, of course, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Tommy. Uh, the character who plays Tommy, he's he's a uh, uh, what? He he's he learns to drive, right? And he learns like all the different maneuvers by watching himself do it. Um, and it becomes a, a very adept pilot through this crazy minefield. Um, Tim Allen, of course, becomes the leader uh, and embraces that role not just because he thinks he's better than everyone else, but because he actually believes he he has a vision for, for success. Um, and then uh, Alan Alan Rickman's character, uh, like he he hates that like by Garthram's hammer or whatever it is. Uh, you know, he hates that like iconic line that he has, and he eventually comes to embrace his role as like a true like warrior king or whatever uh, to avenge uh, his his like little uh, little friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, so I, so I love about. that. I thought that one was very powerful because he clearly hates that line at the very beginning of the movie. And it's the, right. it's the exact same thing. That alien is just a, another fan. But the difference is he recognizes now the power that that quote has. I mean, may, it might even carry the exact same weight for those human fans. But because of Alan Rickman's perception at that time as I'm a character on a TV show that I think is kind of stupid and I'm tired of it. Um, I don't want to say the line for you guys because I think it's... It has no meaning. But then he sees that this alien here who has literally lived his whole life by like the mantra that his character has, he f sees the value that it, that it has. And, and I think that value even goes beyond that back into onto Earth where you don't necessarily see it. But I assume moving forward, Alan Rickman will or his character, uh, Dane, will. Yeah. You will now feel more um, empowered or, or or maybe even feel like it's his responsibility to go to these places and be this character because of the inspiration he instills in his fans. 
Exactly. And I think that's kind of the big lesson here is like the Thermians are kind of a stand in for these heart, these diehard fans um, who like put so much into this thing to the point where it becomes real. And it, like the actors, like, no, like they, they kind of have no choice but to embrace that to a certain as, like aspect, you know, and to and to kind of give people what they want and, and, and allow them to kind of be free in their imagination. It's interesting. It's uh no, it's it's great. The more we talk about it, the more I'm liking this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, it's so good. All right, so the, the my next deeper topic that I wanna to touch on briefly is about um lying. And we I know you mentioned this earlier about the invention of lying, but I have a great example of people that can't lie because I, I, I know I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I one of my favorite book series is called In Remembrance of Earth's Past by Sixun Liu. As a Chinese writer, he wrote uh uh, the first book, The Three-Body Problem, won a Hugo Award um, a few years ago. All three of the books are incredible visions of the future, hard sci-fi. If you like that kind of stuff, it's amazing. But uh, the, in the series, there's a, they meet these aliens that cannot lie. And the reason that they can't lie is because they speak mind to mind. They don't have any sort of language that we do. But they also don't have any sort of culture either. And so, like, as they interact with humans, they learn this art of deception and stuff and how they can use it against other people that aren't connecting mind to mind. And, of course, that kind of goes to our detriment. But what's interesting is that th this idea of, like, how fiction or, like, lying are connected and how you can't have art and culture without, uh, the, without having the ability to lie. Because you see that with the Thermians, right? They only have history. They don't have anything like a show. They don't have like, they don't have any concept of what like a television show or like a theater or a play would be, right? All of that is, is totally foreign to them. And maybe, maybe they actually do speak to mind to mind. Of course, their, their English is pretty good, but it has some, you know, some flaws in it. So maybe they're just not used to using their mouths. <laughs> maybe they actually <laughs> communicate mind to mind, just like the Trisolarans do in, um, in, in Remembrance of Earth's Past. What's the, um, I mean, obviously so pretentious to even remotely call what we do art, but what's our lie? What's our, uh, what's our lie? Yeah. What's the lie in, in affable chat? I think it's that, um, I think we try to give a, this impression that this is just us having a conversation between each other, but obviously we've prepared for this. We've written things. Some of the thoughts that come off as, you know, novel or just coming out of our mouths are obviously pre-planned. Um, and also we don't actually talk to each other exactly like this when we're off the mic. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I think there's a certain amount of heightened awareness to it and stuff, but I, I, we're really kind of being journalists in a way. Like that's kind oh, of man. the branch. Stack way. up the pretentious like things that we're calling what that's we're like doing. The, that's like the category of where we are. Yeah, though. yeah. Like film review is in that same kind of category. So I would say there's, it's, it's not really fiction in its own way it's it's its own things reporting right well i mean it's narcissistic to even ask that about our own podcast because well i could <laughs> that's a good question i though. could have asked it about something else but i wanted to be narcissistic and pretentious i think so i got th thanks for letting well, me get that out of my that. system <laughs> that is a, a core value of mine so i appreciate there that. we go um so one of the things that i was reminded of when i was thinking about lying and about fiction how they're connected is um this quote from neil gaiman he says uh fiction is the lie that tells the truth after all it's a different branch from the same tree is the way i kind of think about it um and i really do like this like i think there's a lot of people out there a lot of pretentious people out there that discount fiction i think fiction isn't as worthwhile as nonfiction. and i always think about this 
about how there's like stories and fiction can sometimes illuminate truth that is impossible to do in any other way. And it's just another great tool in humans um, toolbox. And I think that's awesome. No, I think it's great. Uh, as I get older and, you know, kind of understand my place in the universe a little bit more and have time to think about that kind of things, it's, it's easy to spiral into a kind of existential crisis. And I think ha having not only been exposed, but also to really delve deeper into the topics we have on this podcast and the, the litany of movies that we've sat down to watch and, and, and talk about, it's it, like, it sounds stupid, but it has genuinely helped me uh, come like understand life better. Uh, to use these stories that none of them happen, but to, to right. take lessons that we learn from those and apply them to our real life. Uh, and I think that's really powerful. I, I read this book of like a few years ago. Um, it was called, it's called the millionaire mindset. And it's basically like a how to book on how to become just who wrote that Tyler amazingly rich. Basically. Yeah. The guy who wrote it, he made some <laughs> website back in the, the dot com bubble and he became stupidly rich and he wrote this book and he's like, it's so easy. You just have to work hard. But one of his arguments in the book is that if you want to be, uh, independently rich, if you want to be, um, rich enough not to work, you don't have time to read fiction. Every book you should be reading should be like a how-to or, or it should be, you know, something that's hard fact because that way you can apply it to your real life to help you become a millionaire. Um, and when I read that, I was like, oh, okay, that's what it takes. But I think it's so stupid. I think if you do that, you're missing out on a, on a lot of good information that you can learn from fiction. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's, I mean, there's a couple of books right on my shelf right here that are like, they're, they're mind-bending and they're, they're just... There's so much in there that that you can take from the real world about like like how our society should be structured or, or what role do certain people have in our our culture and how do we like where does like bias and like prejudice come from like that these are these are things that like can be explored um in like you know through history but they can also be explored in like a interesting and novel way that shows that sheds light on stuff that you would never think of before uh, because like as much as you know as much as history can be interesting and illuminating, not everything in the past, like not everything has happened, right? And in, in fiction, anything can happen. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, all right. Are we ready to give our ratings for Galaxy Quest? Yes. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go you first? You can go first. All right. Uh, I, I know mine are often kind of cryptic, so I just decided I didn't care and I was going to go for it anyway. I, I give this movie an Omega 6,120. And that's because that's the that's the length of this movie in six thousand one hundred twenty is the length of this movie in seconds. So if you press this omega ah. six thousand one hundred twenty, you could watch this movie again and again and again. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. I, this is definitely one like one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is when I am responsible for choosing a movie for other people to watch with me. Oh, I'm so good at it now. Not like all, all, I, I've only I've got heaters, man. I've got heaters. I got movies that I know for sure are good. It's not like because one time I was um, I was with uh, some of my friends and we were going to watch a movie and we had a vote between um, watching Ant-Man, which most of us hadn't seen at the time. And Escape Plan starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, my God. And please tell me you watched Escape Plan. We watched Escape Plan. <laughs> It was, yes. it, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rocky, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone. That yeah. movie is a, a, like aggressively terrible. It is absolute, <laughs> it is insulting. 
It was. It was. Wait, you didn't. Wait, did you see it coming that he was on a boat the whole time? No, it, it, I don't care. <laughs> it was so bad. It was. It was um, one of those things where we kept expecting it to get better. At the very least, we were hoping Arnold would have some good lines. But it was a complete waste of time. And and that is something. That's always an anxiety I have whenever someone's like, "You pick the movie, right?" Um, but I don't have that anxiety anymore because I've got straight up heaters in the back pocket because I, you know. I've I've got an hour and a half of audio that, that argues why certain movies are good, and uh, and and so <laughs> this one to get back to the the ratings, this is definitely one that's going in that like elite section of like oh you want me to suggest a movie I've got one for you right here so um, so yeah I love that rating let me go ahead and give you mine I give this movie a bowl full of Kepmock blood ticks just like Mother used to make. Because nice. I, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that, and Alan Rickman clearly enjoyed uh, the blood ticks that he got uh, from the Thermians. So, um, all right, there you have it. That is our episode on Galaxy Quest. Joey, what's next? I don't know. <laughs> well, I actually do know. <laughs> We're going to be releasing a couple of off-script episodes. Uh, coming up i've had some people come into the studio i'm gonna have more people come into the studio uh it's gonna be really exciting and then we'll get back to some movies by then it'll be december and it'll be time for christmas movies and uh yeah i I think we've got some good ones last year we did a vote this year i kind of want to pick um (laughs) (laughs) yeah because the vote didn't go your way it didn't but it still was good (laughs) i we did the grinch the original grinch and it was very enlightening What, what a um historical what a a true classic the true class no yeah and by all by like by definition is a true classic and um i think that one's worth a you know in as it is tradition you know i think all ac fans should consider going back and listening to the grinch episode again this year because uh you know just like the grinch i think that that episode's a classic so uh (laughs) (laughs) anyways so that's what's coming up next um don't forget like we said at the top of the episode you can call us directly here you can call us and leave us a message our phone number is 833-600-2428 Yes, that's 833-600-CHAT. Call us anytime. The phone lines are always open, and we'll play it on the air. I swear we will. Yeah, I swear it to be true. (laughs) It will be, uh, just leave us a message. Like our our boy Kyle. Uh, Shout out to Kyle one more time, dude. That's church on everything. true legend, true AC fan. Uh, all you other AC fans are are slacking off compared to Kyle, honestly. That's right. And well, and Kyle definitely like DM the Affable Chat account on Instagram or Twitter. I, I looked for you, but I couldn't find you. You might just be a podcast guy, which is that's cool too. Um, but anyways, for the rest of y'all, if you want to be like Kyle, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, and wherever you get our podcast, uh, leave us a review. It really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Affable Chat. Or if you want to send us an email, you can reach us at affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. Check it out. And that's going to do it for this episode of Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.